Um, good morning, everybody. Uh, this morning, I want to speak on the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness. <clears throat> if you've been following the series, I've jumped one ahead. Um, Wade and I have done a bit of a swap. So this morning's um, fruit or subject is faithfulness. Shall we just pray before we begin? Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father God, help us to remain humble before you and dependent on the Lord Jesus for our salvation. Father, we pray and ask this morning, Lord, as we consider your word and consider this passage that, Lord, you'll speak to us. And go beyond, Lord, the limitations of the speaker. But by your spirit, Lord, to take your word and to challenge us afresh. And to encourage us to walk, Lord, a little closer to you. For we ask it in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. When talking on the subject of faithfulness, I wonder what we think faithfulness should look like in the Christian life. What does it consist of to be faithful to God? Perhaps one of the most natural ways of thinking about faithfulness and what it should look like is to think about our own personal performance. You know, like... I've never missed a Sunday at church for the last however many years. I haven't missed doing my devotions in the last so many years. And I've been committed to this particular ministry for so many years. Surely, that's got to count for something. Is that what faithfulness is from God's perspective and what he asks of us in our lives? To perform in order to gain his approval. Is that how we, in the church, measure faithfulness? When, as we've been considering what's been going on in these churches in Galatia, a couple of things come to my mind in regards to the topic of faithfulness. The first one is this, that the Galatian believers, way back then, had moved. They had moved from starting out being faithful to God and they have moved into a state of unfaithfulness. We suggested a few weeks ago that, I, that perhaps they didn't think that way. They probably thought that they were very, being very faithful to God by introducing some extra things to the gospel. Circumcision, was one of them, keeping certain ritual laws that the Jews held, like Sabbaths, new moons, and special days. And by these measures, they probably thought that, were, that they were being very faithful to God. They weren't, and they couldn't see it. And this can be one of the problems in our lives in the Christian church, personally and corporately. We can think by all our energy and all we do, we're being faithful to God, but maybe if we get under the surface of things, maybe we're not. Furthermore, 
this had turned in another direction within the Galatian church, and that is that they were beginning to be very unfaithful to each other. We capture that in two verses. The first one is the key verse to understanding the book of Galatians. This is where they went wrong. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel or adding things to the gospel of Christ. They had become unfaithful to living the Christian life in God's grace daily, but had replaced it with works. The second way in which they had been unfaithful could be caught in this verse in our reading. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. It's interesting, just as a small point, that um, the King James Bible doesn't say that the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness, but it says it's faith. The word in the original language can be translated in either direction. It can be faith, or it can be faithfulness in all the modern translations. What the modern translations, translators have seen is that within the fruit of the Spirit, in those last six fruits, they are strongly connected to what the church was missing and what the church needed in their life together. They needed to be faithful to each other. So the translators move in that direction in our modern translation. The evidence was clear, and we've seen it in our reading, and this is what happens when we shift away from God's grace and faithfulness to it in our lives. We can lose a sense of freedom and turn our lives and the life of the church together into a state of bondage or slavery. I've been in churches like that in the past. There is a dependency on outward signs and ritual, a need to self-justify, biting and devouring each other, self-indulgence, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, conceit, and provocation. The church, because of its break and its faithfulness to live in God's grace, was beginning to act unfaithfully in this type of way to each other. They needed God's help. To break with the gospel of grace that God has called us to, to live in each day and to become unfaithful to God in that way, is to get out of step with the Spirit of God. The two are synonymous or one and the same. We are called to obey the call of God to live in the grace of Christ. When we do that daily, the Spirit is free to work in our lives and to produce the kind of fruit that God wants to do amongst, among us. I like these three doing words in our passage about the Spirit of God. We are called to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, and to keep in step with the Spirit. When I was um, at primary school, I probably did this, I can't be sure, but I probably said at some stage to a mate, hey, why don't we do some marching? And um, I'll say, go, one, two, three, and it's left foot forward first and then right, one, two, three, left, 
right? Let, you know how the marching goes. We notice that the one who calls the shots, who says, one, two, three, let's go, is the Spirit of God. It comes out of living in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But sometimes we live in ways where we, in trying to prove our faithfulness to God, are almost, in a sense, saying to God or to the Spirit of God, follow me. When I say left, you go left. When I say right, you go right. This calls for humility, to live in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and to keep in step with his spirit and to understand that faithfulness is defined in these terms, that I am a sinner dependent upon God's grace in my life. And nothing is more important than that. Do you see that faithfulness is a working of the Spirit of God in our lives. How odd is that? When we have talked about thinking that we have to prove faithfulness or show God we're being faithful, faithfulness is something that the Spirit of God, with us walking with God, produces in our lives. Why is this? I think it's for this reason. Because something that should be so simple to us ends up becoming so difficult to simply just trust in God's salvation in Jesus Christ. To live each day in that grace and to not lose sight of it. And often when we're trying to work and strain to prove ourselves to God, what happens is that grace somehow slips into the background. Oh, we know it, but we aren't always living it. We need God's help. When we try to prove our faithfulness to God by our own works, what often happens is we start to compare ourselves with others. I do all of these things, not like, uh, you know, or, or no, not you, Kim, or, or others. I'm not going to use any names and that kind of thing. You know, not like them, you know, it's very easy to become proud in our own works, thinking that it's proving our faithfulness to God when it's not. To become overinflated in our own sense of self-importance and thinking we're great for all manner of reasons. It could be knowledge, it could be experience, it could be all manner of things. Paul warns the churches in Galatia, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, because we aren't under God's grace, we are sinners dependent upon God's work, then we deceive ourselves. It's a trick where we think we can be faithful to God when we're not. Each one should test their own actions or look at their own mo motives in their works. Then they can take pride. I don't like the word pride, so I use the King James and put rejoicing in there. We can rejoice in just trusting in Christ and trying to please God by putting our faith in Christ alone without comparing ourselves to other people. God calls each of us to put our faith in Christ as the measure of faithfulness. We should never use or take the influence of the world to measure what faithfulness should look like. In a sense, we are called to die to ourselves, to die to the standards of the world, 
and to boast in nothing more but in the cross of Christ. Paul says this nearing the end of the letter. Oh, I've gone in the wrong direction. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It is a common issue, I believe, in the Christian life that I've been guilty of, and that is to think or to believe in the things that I've done or achieved as the years have gone by, that I have proved my faithfulness to God. How foolish to think that way by measuring myself against others. When we do that, we may in fact, as we've said, be being unfaithful to God. We need God's help. I want to give two examples of perhaps how this mistake can be made in the Christian life. And the first one ought to be obvious, I hope it is, and the second one not so obvious. In 2009, a chap by the name of Scott Roder appeared before a court in Kansas City on a charge of murder. He was a 51-year-old man at the time. I don't know if anyone knows this story or this news in America. He was a devout Christian. And what had happened was, many years earlier in his life, he had believed that God had called him to be a voice for the unborn child to make a stand against abortion. And I don't know all the details of his life, but he may well have thought, well, no one else is doing it. God needs someone to be a voice for the unborn child. Yes, maybe that's so. But he was driven in his sense of faithfulness to God to buy a gun, a twenty-two caliber, nothing too big, but to follow the, the doctor to his church, a Lutheran church, and to shoot him dead. In front of the court, he reasoned that he shouldn't be in charge for murder. It should be downgraded to manslaughter. And he relayed in trying to convince the court of this that he had considered years earlier of kidnapping the man and cutting his hands off so he couldn't commit um, these abortions. If you had asked Scott Roder whether he considered himself to being faithful to God, and this is a twisted, extreme example, he probably may well have thought that he was. That it was better that one person should die than many innocent children in the womb. Two wrongs don't make a right. Jesus taught that those who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Jesus taught that you have heard it written, you are to love your, neighbor, uh, love your friends and hate your enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who want to persecute you. In 1 John 4, we are told that those who hate their brother cannot say they love God. There's plenty of New Testament evidence to show that Scott Roder's behavior and his character looked a lot more like the acts of the flesh that we looked at. Somehow he had been fooled into moving into a direction that made him do things that he shouldn't have. I doubt whether Scott Roder woke up that morning and said to himself, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But it is by his gracious, unmerited favor that I have been saved. Because people who live in that grace don't produce that kind of fruit in the end. 
they produce the fruit of love. Even in the face of wrong such as that. The second example that I want to give is a less obvious one. In 2002, uh, this book came out, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Do you remember it? I think it was encouraged by the Baptist Union uh, that Baptist churches would uh, go through it. So a lot of good stuff in this book. But the main point or the main thesis of the book is this. To each individual Christian, find out what God wants you to do and do it with all your heart because there's no greater purpose in life to know what God wants for you and to do it. In the wrong hands, though, people could be very proud of doing what they want and performing. A few years later, about 2005, an American scholar, a woman, came to do an intense block course at the Baptist College in Auckland. And the principal at the time was Paul Windsor, and the woman said to Paul Windsor, Paul, have you read Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life? I should drop the accent, eh? It's probably, it's probably getting in the way. So, so, have you re-? Paul knew it was a leading question, and he leant in and said, yes, I have, actually. And she said to him, did you notice that when it's talking about the purpose of the Christian life, it said very little in there about sin, about God's grace, his unmerited favor to us, and the saving blood of Christ? And he said, no, I didn't. But I'm going back to read it again. I had a read of it, and it certainly does talk about sin, grace, Jesus' blood, but it's kind of the small print. It's almost at the bottom. It's not closely connected to what our purpose is, to live in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In conclusion, I want to tell you just one more story to just try and pull some of these things together as a way of illustrating uh, some of these things we've been talking about in regards to what faithfulness to God actually looks like. Has anyone here ever played lawn bowls before? Yes, yes. And you'll know that in lawn bowls you have a beautiful, nice green bowling green and you have a white ball called the kitty. And the object of the game is you bowl the white ball down there and you've got to aim at it with this bowling ball that has an internal bias. You know what that means. It's weighted on one side. So it's got a big circle on one side and a small one on the other. I know this because my dad played lawn bowls. So you curve the ball to get it to come round. Well, um, life, what's that? Okay, but, <laughs> but let's not get too technical about this. Because I need you to imagine a, a bit that our lives are a little bit like the bowling ball. And God is at the end of the green. And when we try to prove our faithfulness to God and we give the bowling ball a little bit of a roll, what happens? It goes off. That's the nature of sin in our lives. When we try to do things in our own strength according to the flesh, we go off. And so we try a little bit harder. I'm going to try to get to God a little bit more in my own effort. We bowl it down there a little stronger and it goes off. Now, 
let's forget, John, that you can actually drive a bowling ball straight. Let's just pretend you can't do that. But we're trying to get to God in a straight line, and our lives always go off. And life is kind of like that, and humanity has been like that since the fall. We're trying to get to God, but sin prevents us from doing it. And as we try and try, if I can get you to imagine it, the sky overhead goes dark, black, for three hours, and bowling stops. And after three dark hours, God appears at the end of the bowling green and picks up the white ball and motions for us to stay put. And he walks all the way down the bowling green to us and says to us this, put the bowling ball down, the game is over. And he says to us, put your hands out. And he puts the white kitty into our hands and says to us, hold the white kitty and never, ever let it go. Because I have done everything for you that you can't do for yourself on account of sin. I gave my son Jesus Christ for you to die on a cross to pay the penalty of your sin that you could never meet or never perform to gain it. If you ever let the white ball go, you'll know what that means. Unfaithfulness to God. The primary call of faithfulness in the Christian life and our purpose is to live in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, to hold on to that white ball and to never let it go. But do you know what happens often? And this was the problem at Galatia and often what we fall into. We come back to the bowling green. We throw the white ball away and we start trying to perform with our bowls again. And once more the sky overhead goes dark as if we're crucifying the Lord all over again. And this time the Apostle Paul appears carrying the white ball back to us with a copy of the book of Galatians and says, you were told to be faithful. Trust in the Lord Jesus with all your heart and put that at the forefront of how you live each day. And everything you do apart from that, your good works, which God has called us to do, are demonstrations of our gratitude and our love to a God who has done everything for us in Christ Jesus. That's what faithfulness looks like. Thank you.